0: That thrills a pastor's heart. I just love it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I want you to turn your Bible, if you have one, to the first chapter of the book of John. Last week I gave an introduction, if you will, to the book, kind of an overview of what God's been teaching me and helping me. And um, one of the things I, I learned about John is his perspective. John sees the events surrounding the life of Jesus uh, very uniquely from the other other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Now, one thing I learned was that one of the reasons he sees it differently is because he lived significantly longer. John was likely the youngest of the apostles, and he lived um, s- uh, numbers of years after the rest of them had passed away. Paul had passed away, Peter had passed away, and so so when when they're dead and gone, now John is watching the establishment of the church, and he's seeing how the church is being attacked by. Calls them wolves, false teachers. And there's much divisiveness coming into the church. And, and so, from, from John steps back and he says, What, what, do, what do we need to do to, to promote this amazing gospel of Jesus Christ? This, this message of the good news of Jesus Christ. The long awaited Messiah has come and has given his life for mankind. What do we need to do? now to give and and he recognized that by this time by his writing the the church the established church had actually become more Gentile than it was Jew the Gentiles had had, had willingly received the message of the gospel and they had they had caused the church to grow and all these churches that Paul had established most of them were Gentile uh, congregations and so 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 John saying how can how can we take this, this gospel message that right now is so enveloped in Judaistic truth? The Jews understood it. The Jews understood the, the promised Messiah. They understood how it all fit together, but, but not the Greek, not the Gentile. They didn't they have this, 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 this understanding. Many of the words that were used, even in Matthew, where Matthew is, had, had a very uh, Jewish mindset, And he was presenting the gospel to a Jewish mind, there were Greeks that didn't understand much of what he was saying, so John said, what can I do? And of course, through the inspiration of God, he wrote to us John's gospel. Perhaps the most well-known verse that delivers the gospel is John 3.16. Now, there's wonderful verses in Matthew and, and in Mark and in Luke, but that one gospel that seems to be a home run, what you see at, at, at football games that hold up John 3, 16, well, why don't they hold up a verse in Matthew or Mark? Why is it that that, that, that pronounced gospel message that, come across, that comes across to the world uh, is found in John Because John found the key, a key to unlock that difficulty, to make it so that a Gentile did not have to immerse himself in Jewish truth to understand what has happened for mankind. So We're going to look at that this morning. I want to read just two verses, actually three verses, and then we'll pray. And I'll share with you what God's put on my heart for today. John chapter 1, beginning verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Now drop down to verse number 14. John writes, and the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. If if it were new to you, you a new convert or new to the Scriptures, and you opened up your Bible to the book of John, chapter 1, and you read the first two verses, more than likely you're going to get a headache trying to figure it out. Seems like, seems like a maze. We're going in circles. And you say, well, what is this word? What, what is the word? Well, if you keep reading down to verse number 14, it's answered for us. We come to find out the word that was in the beginning, the word that was with God, the word that was God, was made flesh. Oh, I remember that story. How God was made flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. So, this is talking very definitively about Jesus. So, here we learn at the very beginning that God, through the Gospel of John, called Jesus the Word. What is a word? Now, don't answer that out loud. <laughs> because, quite frankly, I struggled a little bit. Because, well, a word's a word. <laughs> what's, what's a word? Ah, when I began to understand why Jesus was called the Word. Man, I lit up. I got excited about it. And I want to share with you this morning the Word. Let's pray. Thank you, dear Lord, for your love and thank you for your blessing in the sweet time we've already had this morning. What a joy to be in the fellowship of believers, those who find their joy in serving you. Lord, there's no place on earth like the church. And so, Lord, would you please meet with us this morning? Would you lead us and guide us and give to us what we need? And Lord, give us a fresh vision of who you are as we study you as the Word. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, first of all, let's define this. If you look into the scriptures and you open to a Greek New Testament, when it says, in the beginning was the word, you'll see the word logos. Logos, or some say logos. The word logos has basically two meanings. It means word. So I'm giving you that now. I'm giving you words. In the Greek, I would say, I'm giving you logos. It also means, secondarily, reason or a mental process of thinking taking a thought and bringing it to a conclusion reason so the the word has two meanings word and reason the Jewish mind understood it as word the all-powerful word of God the supreme creator Jehovah God spoke and the worlds were created in Genesis 1 3 and God said let there be light and there was light the power His word and the Jew understood that they had Genesis they understood what it meant for the power of the word of God God spoke the words of God delivered his will and thoughts to mankind the Greek however on the other hand had a concept not of word but of reason. They loved reason. They loved to study the intellect. They loved to debate. God was behind order and dependability, and the Greeks gave credence to an all powerful, orderly God. They could understand that concept because the word to them meant reason to his observation of a world of order and dependability, the Greek said there is a God behind this. God was behind the order and unfailing natural laws. They were very smart. They had recognized in the stars and the constellations some superior force must be behind not only the creation of, but the continuance of keeping them in place. The sun continually uh, to come up every morning at the same time. Always the same, always the same. There must be a God. God was also behind the ability to think, to reason. The Greek ascribed this order to the logos or mind of God. To him that which gave man the ability to think and reason was this logos or this mind or reason of God. There is a thinking God, and that thinking God has done all this. He spoke, he he gave all the worlds into existence, that that thinking God. So here's the conclusion. There were two cultures, the Jewish culture and the non-Jew, the Greek or the the heathen, they would call them, minds. Two understandings of one word, logos. Logos. What John sought to do was to bring those worlds together. To make it so the gospel could be clearly understood, not just by the Jews, but by the Gentiles as well. So John declared the word, found in John 1, 1, and 2, in words. (laughs) To try and convey the truth of the gospel to the Greeks, John declared... All your lives you have been fascinated by this great, guiding, controlling mind of God. The mind of God has come to earth in the man, Jesus. Look at Him, and you will see what the mind and thought of God are like, says the William Barclay Commentary. It was a way for the Greek to understand God acting in the form of a man. John defined the mind of God in words and in the Word. John 1, 1 and 2, in the beginning was the Word, the Logos, the mind and expression of God. And the Word, Logos, was with God. And the Word, Logos, was God. The same was in the beginning with God. When John used the Word, Logos, he was defining the infinite mind of God expressed in words. Represented by the Word of God. And in the Word, the perfect expression of God Himself in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is seen in John's opening verses. So, these two verses that I spent way too many years getting frustrated over were far more profound in the depth of understanding that I could have ever begun to understand. Because what we see in John 1, 1 and 2, this, this apparent puzzle, is John's attempt to reveal Jesus Christ to the whole world. In 1 John 1, 1, it says, "...that which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it. And bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father, and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Interestingly, Not only did John use that title of word for Jesus in his gospel, they also gave it to it in his epistle in 1 John, the word of life. In 1 John 1.3, "...that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship with the Father, and with the Son, Jesus Christ." John invited them into a fellowship with Jesus Christ. With the Father. As I share Christ with folks, my goal is to build a fellowship or relationship with them. To invite them into a greater fellowship with the Son of God, Jesus Christ. We're invited into this experience of fellowship to enjoy full joy. The word declared a fellowship with Christ for full joy. First John 1, 4. And these things, the invitation to fellowship with Christ, write we unto you that your joy may be full. John invited the non-believers to come to a faith decision, to enter into a fellowship with them, that they might also fellowship with, with Jesus Christ the Son of God and with the Father and in so doing they would find joy in John 15 verse 10 and 11 if ye keep my commandments ye shall abide in my love even as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love these things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full which one of us does not want to be joyful Now, I didn't look around this morning, but there have been times where I've seen some folks come in and their face is declaring, I'm not joyful today. I like being joyful. I like being happy. I like being on top of the world. But I'm not always there. But we're given a way here in which we can have joy. And how is that joy received? It's by entering into a fellowship with Jesus Christ and God the Father. I have to be honest with you, I don't like getting up early in the morning. God has given to us an amazingly soft bed. Oh, how I enjoy that bed. And when that alarm goes off, if I were unsaved, I would swear at it. I don't like getting up in the morning, but I will tell you this. It changes the whole dynamic of my life because I go and kneel down and spend time fellowshipping with the Son of God. I enter into a fellowship with Him. Just just Him and I, just the two of us. And it sets the stage, it sets the tone for the whole day. To enter into full joy. So the word was declared to provide fellowship in Christ, to enjoy full joy, and also to walk in the light. In 1 John 1, 5, then, This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. In John 8:12, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The Word reveals Jesus. I would not know a Jesus if it were not for the Word. The Word reveals Jesus, who brings light into our life and world. So as I opened up the Scriptures, as I studied for today, I was learning more of Jesus. The Word. Why did Jesus come to earth? We know He came to seek and to save sinners, but you also know that He came to reveal His heavenly Father to us? We did not know the Father. No man hath seen the Father. So how can we know Him? And Jesus said, if you have seen Me, you've seen the Father. He came to reveal, or He came as a full expression of His Father. Hmm, that sounds a lot like a word. What I'm doing right now is I am giving you the expression of what's on my heart and my mind. And I'm using words to do it. I could stand up here and make gestures, but it'd be kind of hard for you to get the whole thought. I have to use words which are expressions of truth. And they express what's in my mind. When Jesus came, He came to express His Heavenly Father. Thus... He was the expression of, or the Word, of His Father. He came to walk in the light. The Word is found in the Trinity. In 1 John 5, 7, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Isn't that interesting? That John continues this thought. The Trinity is made up of the Father, the Word. The Word. And the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, the Word, the Father, also the full revelation of or expression of the Father and His Son and the Holy Spirit of God. Three and one. In John 1, 1 and 2, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God, the same was the beginning with God. Here we see a confirmation of the deity of Christ. One of the most tragic Things of many cults is the fact they have a different Jesus. They don't believe he's God, or they may believe he was created as a God. But here in John 1, we learn that he is God. He was with God in the beginning. <laughs> Very back in the, way in the beginning, he was with God. He wasn't created, he's eternal, he always has been. And not only with God, He is God. The Father, the Son, Holy Spirit, He's God. Here we see the full revelation of His Father and of His Spirit. If it were not for the teachings of Jesus Christ, we would not know much about the Heavenly Father. In Deuteronomy 6, 4, Here, O Israel, the Lord our God is... One Lord. Matthew 28, 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. John 10, 30, Jesus said, I and my Father are one. One God. One God. The Word will return in great power and glory. In Revelation 19, 11, and 12, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. Jesus is the full expression of the power, righteousness, and wrath of his Father. I found it quite interesting last week we talked about how the the the, uh, the Gentile mind when the Greek when they when they used this word for true another word that that is translated true in the in the English they translated it real real because they believed in two worlds the Greeks they believed in a the world they could see which was a temporary full of shadows World. I called it to them a make-believe world it was a temporary world the real world was that world out there that they would go to that was what's real so beyond what we can see with our eyes that is the real world everything we have here is only make-believe so notice the wording I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. Same word, real. He's from reality. (laughs) You and I are living in a make believe world in a lot of ways. (laughs) And I'm so glad. I'm so glad that we don't have an eternity to think about. Man alive, the, the difficulties we're experiencing now. Can you imagine an eternity of this? Can you imagine? All the sin and sickness and sorrow. All the hatred. No, this is just temporary. Our life, the Bible says, is like a vapor. It appeareth for a little while and then vanisheth. Ah, but not my life there. My life there will go on forever. That's reality. He, Jesus, is called faithful and true. Jesus, returning in glory at the second coming, will be identified, interestingly enough. In Revelation 19, 13, it says, And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. Notice what his name is called. The Word of God. (laughs) Jesus will be draped in clothing that had been dipped in blood. Confirming his identity as the Lamb of God that suffered and died on the cross and shed his perfect blood for the remission of sins Jesus will lead a great army following him on white horses It's been a lot of years since I've been on a horse and I was not great at riding a horse then But I better learn Because you and I we believers are going to come back with Jesus with Jesus and he will he will defeat all of the unsaved that time. Amazing time. <laughs> Revelation 19:14, the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses. We will be riding those white horses. My guess is somehow, I don't know, somehow we're going, he's gonna teach us how to ride horses. So we come back and we're not all falling off as we come back. I'm assuming we will know how to ride a white horse. It says, We'll be clothed in white linen, or fine linen, white and clean. His army, you and I, believers in Jesus Christ, will be clothed in white linen, symbolizing our righteousness found in Him. Or could I say, His righteousness in us? Jesus will display the power of His Word. When he smites the nations, in 19.5, Revelation, out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of the Almighty God. Out of his mouth, what comes out of his mouth? Words from the Word. The Word of God is the fulfillment and execution of his and his Father's wrath. Against all unrighteousness, Isaiah wrote in Isaiah eleven four, and he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. The word found in John one one and two will bring judgment. In Hebrews four twelve, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word cuts into the soul and spirit. As we read, study, teach, preach the word of God, we're not just giving empty words. We're giving words of the Word, the Word, His words. The Word revealed the Father. In Revelation 1.5 it says, And from Jesus Christ who is, and I love this, Jesus Christ here is called the faithful witness. I don't know how many times I've read this verse, this passage, and not put it all together. I thought that was cool that he had that title, the faithful witness. I never slowed down long enough to consider of what he was witnessing. What had he witnessed that he was going to share with others? That's what a witness does. A witness shares what they saw. <laughs> Notice. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. From all eternity, Jesus had been in the presence of the Father, he had witnessed the Father. And he came to earth as that faithful witness. To reveal to you and to me, to the world, the Father. As the Word, the full expression of truth, He revealed His heavenly Father. The Word knows and reflects His Father. The mind and expression of God were already in existence when the worlds were created in the beginning. Abiding with God in heaven from eternity jesus knows his father intimately they are one when asked by his disciples to show them the father jesus seemed almost incredulous as he replied in john 14:9 jesus said unto him have i been so long a time with you and yet hast thou not known me philip he that hath seen me hath seen the father and how sayest thou then Show us the Father. Many of you are new enough not to have known my father. One of the privileges of my life was for God to ordain my wife and I moving back here to Colorado in the last years of my dad's life. We got to be close to them. Many of you did know my dad, know my mother but if you never met my dad, if you never saw him, didn't know him from Adam, you would know quite a few things about my dad in that you know me. And as you know me, you know much about my dad. Now there is an imperfect illustration. The perfect illustration is Jesus accurately reflected his father. And by the way, in so doing, he was called the Word. Jesus and his father were so similar, to know one was to know the other. Jesus came to reveal the world to the world what his heavenly father was like. So great was his father. Jesus longed to introduce him to mankind. The Word found in John 1, 1, and 2, fully expressed his Father. The world could could now know the Father in Jesus. As a word is an expression of a thought, so Jesus, as the word, was the full expression of his Father. The world could now know God the Father because of the word, the reason or mind of Christ. The world could now know the word of God and the reason of God, which are combined in Christ. The word, the reason, two separate concepts, the Jewish mind, the Gentile mind. Christ came and fulfilled them in one. So that God so loved the world, John said. In the beginning, Jesus was presented as both the Word, that which connected with the Jewish mind, and reason of which the Greek mind could comprehend. The concepts combined in Him that the world might have a clear perspective of God. Notice John 1.14. And the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth the expression of the Father and the reason and mind of Christ became human flesh and lived among man and was full of grace and truth. So why, lastly, why is it so important to know the Father? Why was this a big deal for Jesus? Well, I found numbers of reasons in the scriptures. Let me go through a few. First of all, reason number one, because Jesus came to reveal him to us. In John fourteen nine. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Secondly, because Jesus knew and performed his Father's will. Why is it important for us to know the Father? Because Jesus came to do his Father's will. Hebrews ten seven, then said I, lo I come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. John four thirty four, Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. John five thirty, I can of mine own self do nothing, as I hear I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. And then John 6, 38, For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Was Jesus so inept, he had no will of his own? What a foolish thought. Jesus was God. but Jesus came in full submission to the will of his Father as a perfect example of what you and I are to be to Him. Complete submission. Why is it important to know the Father? Well, thirdly, because He is to be glorified. In Matthew 5, 16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify the Father which is in heaven. Why is it important to know the Father? Because He is our rewarder. In Matthew 6, 5, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, For they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Why is it important to know the Father? Because we should feel free to pray to the father the disciples said teach us to pray and Jesus gave them a model prayer in Matthew 6 9 after this manner therefore pray ye he said our father which art in heaven hallowed be thy name why is it important well because the father knows our needs Matthew 6 31 and 32 therefore take no thought saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. Why is it important? Because the Father loves to meet our needs. Matthew 7, 11, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good gifts to them that ask him? Why? Because it is in his house. In his house, we will abide forever. John 14, 2, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Why? Because the Father is glorified as we bear fruit. John fifteen eight. 8, Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit so shall ye be my disciples. And then lastly, why is it important to know the Father? Because the Father loves us. In 1 John 3, 1, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. How many times have you heard someone, or perhaps you yourself, had this conception that God the Father is a stern, vengeful God, always crossing His arms, furrowing His brow, and looking down on us, just waiting to bring judgment to us and to zap us. That's not the God Father that we see represented in the Scriptures, Because John's Gospel... The gospel that sought to communicate the gospel to the Gentile mind wrote, "For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life." That doesn't sound like a God in heaven that is vengeful and hateful toward us. That's a God that loves us what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. So when John's gospel opened up with these two verses, at a first glance, seems like a maze in circles. <laughs> could we slow down just a little bit? Could we get an understanding of what is being said when John opens, in the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Might we understand more of the fullness of what's being expressed in those two amazing verses. Jesus came to express to us His Heavenly Father. He came to seek and to save sinners in the process. His trip to Calvary where he suffered and bled for the sins of mankind was a gruesome, gruesome event. But for you and for me, it gave us the opportunity to have our sins washed away. I've shared with you so many times, my life was radically changed forever when as an 11-year-old I knelt down next to my dad and prayed a very simple prayer. I told the Lord Jesus I was a sinner as if that was to surprise him. I confessed my sins and I asked him to forgive me and I trusted him and him alone to forgive me and to save me. On that day, the Bible terminology is I was saved or I was born again. Ever since that time, based upon the authority of Scripture, I know where I'm going when I die. Not because I am good, Not because I have lived a flawless life, because goodness knows I've sinned many times since then. I'm going to heaven because Jesus saved me. I'm going to heaven not in my own righteousness, because my own righteousness could never qualify. I'm going to heaven in His righteousness. I'm going to heaven through His shed blood that as I trusted him, he washed all my sins in his blood. So as I read the Gospel of John now, I realize the Gospel of John was written to me. Not a Jew. Someone that still struggles with all the feasts and all the tabernacle information and all the stuff of the Old Testament. All the rules and regulations. I don't understand all that. But I do understand that Jesus, the Son of God, came, lived a perfect life, died on a cruel cross, was buried, and three days later, came alive from the dead. I understand that. And so putting my faith and trust in that truth, I got saved. The question I have to leave with you is, has there ever been a time in your life where you recognize that you were a sinner? And that in your own, you could never never go to heaven because heaven's perfect. And there's no sin in heaven. Has there been a time in your life where you came to Jesus Christ, you confessed your sins, you told him you were a sinner. He already knows it, but you confessed it. And you trusted him. You trusted him to forgive you and to save you. If not, you could this morning this morning. You could secure your eternity in heaven simply by trusting Jesus. Now, if you have trusted Jesus, perhaps you've been saved for many, many years. Have you entered into fellowship with Him? He he revealed Himself as the Word, the Word, the full expression. He revealed Himself and thus revealed the Father. Do you know Him? Do you know him or is your relationship with Jesus the Son of God once a week you bring your Bible and you come to church and you sing the songs of Zion and then you go home and go back to your real world that's not fellowship let me encourage you if you're not saved this morning let me encourage you to trust Christ if you are saved this morning and you're not in a sweet fellowship with Christ, don't leave this place without making a commitment to enter into that sweet, abiding, day by day fellowship with Jesus Christ, where you spend time with Him, praying with Him, reading His Word. Yes, the Word. And getting to know who He is. He loves you so much. What you're missing out if you're not in fellowship with Him? Let's bow for prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, we have so much for which to be grateful this morning. You died on the cross, you rose again, we have opportunity to get saved, and for that we give you thanks. Lord, that's just the beginning. You offer to us a life of fellowship with you, daily, walking with you and getting to know you better, and indeed, the Father better through you. So Lord, I pray that your spirit might do a work in our midst this morning. In just this moment of quietness, nobody's looking around. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Do you know for sure that if you die tonight, you go to heaven? Has there been a time in your life where you did come to Jesus and you confessed to Him that you were a sinner and you transferred your dependence for heaven from your shoulders, trying to be good enough, to Him and His finished work on Calvary's cross? Have you trusted Him today? Nobody's looking around. I wonder, anybody this morning here that could say, Pastor, would you pray for me? Because I don't know for sure that heaven is my home, but I want to know. Would you pray for me? Anyone like that that I could pray for this morning? Put your hand up so I can see it. Pastor, pray for me. I don't know, but I want to know. Lord, bless our group. And I pray all those who have put their faith and trust in you this morning, help them, dear Lord, to enter into a sweeter fellowship with you, and get to know you better, and understand the amazing reservoir of love that you want to give to them. Thank you for this sweet, sweet time, for we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.